Willkommen, bienvenue, and indeed, welcome to the apocalypse. It is the 21st of October in the year zero of Armageddon, otherwise known as 2020. We now enter our ever-decreasing spiral of venues that can be accessed during the global pandemic that our Prime Minister, Dominic Cummings, has not yet caused to be sold off to the lowest bidder after failing to win any funding due to their inability to help the Tory party. With less than 10 days to go until our children get bitterly disappointed by Halloween this year, many parts of the UK are going into lockdowns, which is going to make ghost hunting rather difficult. Wales, Scotland and Ireland are still managing to do a better job than England, but sadly these countries seem to have forgotten the letter B when naming towns and cities with accessible ghosts in them. But I promise I am looking for free places to investigate in those countries. I will at some point in this episode try and claim that the Isle of Wight is another country. There is at least one Scottish venue at last, and we even venture into Hereford, which at one point was on Welsh land. So I'm really cramming my non-English links into this one with all the desperation of Danny trying to find a link after doing no research for one of our full team episodes. From a ghost hunting point of view, don't start getting too excited about the fact that soon we will all be back to normal, and to our foreign listeners and readers, let me quickly explain. Back in March, our government issued a warning system to show how dangerous this virus is. If we went into a Tier 4 situation, we close everything, including schools, as they are the one main source of infection. It then got round to September and the government realised they'd done an awful job of protecting us and stopped the spread of coronavirus. So they rewrote the warning system and now we have three tiers, none of which say to close the schools. So our lockdown is not really a lockdown, as it is pointless closing anything if the schools stay open. Since September, there's been a 1,900% increase in cases from people in education. Therefore, the spread of this is only going to increase for the rest of the year, with a brief respite for a couple of weeks as we have half term. So that's the news, and on to the spooks. Is it Wales? Is it Scotland? Is it Ireland? Or is it even the Isle of Wight, or indeed Isle of Man? Nope, it's Bracebridge in Lincolnshire. Currently a place that is an area that we should all be wary of, not because it's full of people from Lincolnshire, but the further north you go in England, the worse the infection rate. So let's don our hazmat suits and look for the ghost of a knight on horseback. We need to find Bracebridge Hall and Church, which means you can guarantee wherever the ghost is, you'll be in the opposite place. The, the knight is buried at the church and apparently the ghost appears at the hall, then rides to his grave just to check it's fine and that his body has not been disturbed. If it's raining and the church is not quarantined, you could wait in the church, as he is said to appear in the building as well. Now for somewhere safer. Or maybe not. Bradgate in Leicestershire. In the UK, we have had many a monarch, and many a monarch-to-be has been involved in plots to overthrow the current king or queen of its time. I've no idea why so many people wanted to rule a country when the prize often involved being killed or overthrown or sent into battle. One of the least fortunate Queens of England was Lady Jane Grey. And for those of you listening, you will not have noticed the word Queen highlighted. Uh, she technically was not really Queen. Some of you readers and listeners out there may know me from television, where I'm often called an historian, where I tend to talk about weird and wonderful bits of history that you don't normally get taught in schools on programmes like Forbidden History or Medieval Murder Mysteries. And if you don't, then I may suggest you get onto YouTube and watch some excellent shows. One episode we nearly did was about the unfortunate luck of Lady Jane Grey. So now for a quick history lesson, so that I can claim my research was not for nothing, and that it now classes as a tax write-off for this book. 
Lady Jane Grey was born in 1537 and died on the 12th of February 1554. She was also known as Lady Jane Dudley and as the Nine Days Queen. Bit of a spoiler there, uh, but you can pretty much guess it did not end well for her. She was an English noblewoman who became the de facto Queen of England and Ireland from the 10th of July until the 19th of July in 1553. Jane was the great-granddaughter of Henry VII through his younger daughter Mary and was a first cousin once removed of Edward VI. I think I got that right. In May 1553, she married Lord Guildford Dudley, a younger son of Edward's chief minister, John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland. In June 1553, Edward VI wrote his will, nominating Jane and her male heirs as successors to the crown, partly because his half-sister Mary was of the Roman Catholic faith, whilst Jane was actually of the Protestant faith. This means that she should support the Church of England, which was in part created by Edward. The will removed his half-sisters Mary and Elizabeth from the line of succession on account of their illegitimacy, subverting their claims under the Third Succession Act. Yes, it's complicated and messy, but thankfully, religion at this time was such a tool for good and righteousness and made all people behave sensibly and calm. Or maybe not. After Edward's death, Jane was proclaimed queen on the 10th of July in 1553 and awaited coronation in the Tower of London, meaning she was queen but not crowned queen. Unluckily for her, support for Mary grew very quickly and most of Jane's supporters abandoned her in favouring saving their own heads. You have to remember that in England it was thought that the monarch ruled by divine right. Therefore, whoever became ruler would mean that their religion was the correct one. And there might be a spate of cooking Catholics or poaching Protestants over open flames whilst being executed. The Privy Council of England saw which way the wind was blowing and suddenly changed sides and proclaimed Mary as Queen on the 19th of July 1553, deposing Jane. Everyone involved decided it was all for the best, and things carried on as normal and everyone was happy. Or, in reality, there was a wave of death and destruction. Her father-in-law, the Duke of Northumberland, was accused of treason and executed less than a month later. Jane was held prisoner in the Tower and was convicted in November 1553 of high treason, which carried a sentence of death, though Mary initially spared her life. However, Jane soon became viewed as a threat to the crown when her father, Henry Grey, the first Duke of Suffolk, got involved in Wyatt's rebellion against Queen Mary's intention to marry Philip II of Spain. Both Jane and her husband were executed on the 12th of February 1554. History lesson over, and back to the spookiness. We can see that Jane's life was not going too well, which can often lead to a haunting or two. And she'd been seen in many places as people try and claim their ghost to be a celebrity spook. And Bradgate Park is one such place. She seems to be doing her best impression in some form of satanic Santa as she's seen around December. And some claim it is on Christmas Eve in a carriage, not a sleigh, pulled by four headless black horses, not reindeers. Let us now head south. And I would say it's safer to be going south in England right now, except for the fact that we're going to Essex. Specifically, Bradfield Essex. This actually is a nice safe little village and we need to look around the lanes for this ghost. The legend is that a cyclist cycled straight through what he thought was a man in the road. Rather bemused and spooked, he stopped in the pub for some form of medicinal alcohol. On retelling his tale, he was told that he was the ghost of a man who had shot his daughter's suitor, but also accidentally hit his own daughter. He then turned the gun upon himself. This is not the ghost of Sir Grimston, as far as I can tell as he once lived at Bradfield Hall, 
Obviously, he did not particularly like it there as he haunts the village roads, not the hall. He's been seen driven around the village in a coach, particularly on dark, moonless nights. Annoyingly, all the ghosts around here seem to be slightly hard to pin down as regards to their exact location, as another spook, this time a farmer called George, is said to haunt the fields around the village. Does not tell us of a specific field, so have fun locating him. No longer in Bradfield, but in Bradfield St George this time, as we go to Bradfield St George, Suffolk. This is a strange one, and sadly a rare one. We've had tales of phantom horses, dogs, cats, sheep, ladies in grey, red, pink, white, black, and various shades of male entities. This one, however, is a phantom house. Yes, you heard me right, the ghost of a manor house. This is described as a gorgeous Georgian red brick abode surrounded by lovely attractive gardens, and north of the church on the lane from Little Welnatham, which turns right at the church. The first sightings I can track down is at around about 1860 and other sightings in 1900 and well-documented ones in the 1920s. But they are rarer nowadays. But please get in touch if you know any witnesses to this phantom abode as I would love to hear more and report it back to the paratourists out there. Braiding, Isle of Wight. When we write about places in today's quick-moving society, I am well aware of the ever-changing world we live in. And haunted places come and go, and Braiding is a good example, as one of my favourite places in the world was here, the famous Waxworks Museum, which, if I remember from my childhood, was advertised by a, a replica of the 1960s Batmobile driving around the island. I do know that we have mentioned this place before on our show, so I will just briefly recap, as we're on B and it's safe to visit, and I have more information. Just outside Braiding, on the opposite bank of the River Yar, lies a woodland known as Centurion's Copse. This little woodland has an air of mystery and eerie foreboding about it. It's curiously dark, silent woodland where birds are rarely seen and dogs are said to fear to tread. This is reportedly the spot of one of the island's legendary lost towns, the doomed Wolverton, and the ghost of the monk that has never left. In the Roman times, Braiding was actually an important port, with at least two Roman villas in the Braiding area. Fast forward to the medieval era, and the towns of Braiding and Wolverton were now benefiting from the sheltered, though now shallow, harbour. Even though the town was important during the Roman period, it's not the ghost of a Roman centurion that gives the cops its name, but instead derives from the town of Wolverton's church, dedicated to St. Urian which has been corrupted into the Saint Urian, Centurion since the church's destruction. The town is said to have been completely destroyed in the mid-14th century with all the inhabitants slaughtered, or possibly one survivor, with the town and church never rebuilt. It is claimed that the church of Saint Urian at Wolverton had a holy well, whose waters were so remarkably fresh it did not go off, even on long sea voyages. This bit of sailor-tourist propaganda also boosted itself by claiming that this well also had healing properties for the sick. There is even a ye olde advertising slogan to go with it, as there was a wooden cross next to the well with an engraving. While the water flows pure and free, Wolverton shall happy be, the net be heavy in the sea, and wheaten seed shall yield plenty, when stains of blood burns the well, then Culver's Ness shall ring its knell. Or at least that's the version I could find on the internet. 
This leads us to the 14th century legend of a strange man who came from Culver's Cliff, and he claimed a premonition that a hooded man in grey would appear and poison the well, and the village should kill him before he did. Not long after, a monk-like figure appeared and headed to the well. The townsfolk, obviously full of superstition and not wishing for their source of tourist dollars to disappear, stoned the monk-like figure to death, and he died and fell into the well thus allowing his blood to curse the water, and thus the well's healing powers were destroyed. This monk is supposed to continue haunting the woodland, and the town was supposedly punished by being burnt to the ground. There may be something more than just this ghost, as it may be that the spook is looking for some buried treasure. Another legend! And feel free to make yourself rich with a metal detector whilst out looking for a ghost monk. The treasure was supposedly only able to be recovered from under the tree that had grown over it by uprooting the tree using 12 white oxen chained to the tree and have the creatures pull it out of the ground. Unfortunately, the tree was chopped down, so the treasure remains hidden. So I guess a metal detector is all you need now. Maybe if the magic is still protecting it, then buy a farm set toy from a toy shop that has 12 white bulls in it and try tying that to the tufts of grass and weeds that now sit on top of the site. I think we now have to legally put a warning here. We at Paranormal Towers do not advocate digging up vast areas of the Isle of Wight in search for buried treasure, and even if you found it, you have to declare it as a treasure hoard, and then you have to got archaeologists to come and dig it out, having secured permission to search from the landowner. Treasure hunting in the UK is not exactly as much fun as it sounds. It's mostly form-filling. Bradley Woods, Lincolnshire. Another lady of various hues and shades as we search for the Black Lady of the Woods. This woodland is in the north of the county and should be a safe place to ghost spot, but I have no other way of tracking down the exact spot other than the name of the woodland, so hopefully you have a few hours to kill looking for her. The eyewitnesses claim that she is ominous looking, but she is rather pretty and wears a hood covering her hair and a long flowing black cloak. Perhaps the ominous description is due to the fact that she seems upset and is sometimes seen with tears streaming down her face. There is a possibility that the ghost is in some way related to a nearby nunnery, and the legend is that she became pregnant and was forced out to live her life alone when her man went off to fight in some war. Another part of the legend sometimes claims that the enemy rode through the woods and stole her child. Therefore, we have a spook endlessly walking through the woods looking for her husband or her baby, and some ghost hunters think it's a good idea to try and play recordings of babies crying in the hope that this attracts the ghosts. Though, as a parent, I can honestly say I recognise my own babies crying, but if someone else's was crying, you knew it wasn't yours. So maybe ghosts would just ignore it. If you live in the countryside, you may also know the sound of young foxes can make sounds like babies, so I guess she'd be used to fake babies by now. If you have nothing better to do on Christmas Eve and still have some form of faith in ghosts appearing at particular calendar dates, then it's experiment time. I think I need to get a jingle or a sting made so that it plays in your head every time we use that phrase. It's claimed that if someone goes there on Christmas Eve and shouts, black lady, a black lady, I've stolen your baby three times. And I mean, you say it three times, don't say I've stolen your baby three times. Then she will appear. I may add a word of warning here. If you're planning on walking through a popular spot for people out on a pre-Christmas ramble, then perhaps shouting that you have stolen some black woman's child is not a good idea, unless the local social services or police are well-versed in this local legend. More importantly, carry a copy of the Paranormal Tourist Guide to Free Places to Investigate in the UK B, Part 2, with you, oh, it's such a catchy title, to explain the confusion. 
And once more, down south to Bradwell-on-Sea, Essex. We've spoken of centurions already in this episode and were disappointed as there were no actual Roman ghosts. So let's find St. Peter's on the Wall Church to try and rectify that situation. It is here that people report hearing the sound of galloping hooves passing close by when there are no horses present. Ghost horses are sometimes seen, though, and they claim the ghosts have a Roman soldier sat on them, or at least on one of the animals. There was once a Roman castle or fort in this area, so probably it relates in some way to this historic site. Braemar Castle, Aberdeenshire. Yay, Scotland! Braemar Castle was built in 1628 for John Erskine, the Earl of Mar. In 1689, the castle was captured by John Farquharson and burnt down to prevent it being used by the troops of the government. In 1715, the Earl of Mar led the Jacobite uprising with John and had his lands and titles seized by the crown. Twenty years later, the castle was sold to the leader of the Farquharson clan, After the last rebellion in 1745, the government got the castle back and turned it into a garrison to prevent any further uprising. The property now still in the hands of the Farquharsons. So, as you can see, it's had a turbulent history. The castle grounds are currently open and are set in some stunning countryside, but the castle building is yet to be opened back up. But do look at their websites to see if they're allowing tourists in. Hopefully, we can get in here as the castle is said to be haunted by several ghosts inside and out. So I'll tell you about as many of the spooks as I've heard of, rather than just the outdoor ones. There's a military figure, possibly the fearless Farquharson, that walks through the castle corridors. He's also been seen standing next to one of the beds in the middle of the night. Ghost sightings also seem to be related to the strong smell of tobacco when they occur. Now, if you're walking around the castle, keep your ears open, as a phantom piper is said to roam the halls near the back of the building. Braidwood, Lanarkshire. Hopefully you found your monk in the woods on the Isle of Wight, but for a lot of us, travelling to the sunny, tropical island shores of such a place is not possible right now. So let's content ourselves with another monk in the wood, this time in Braidwood. In particular, we're searching for the wood between Braidwood and Crossford, near St Oswald's Chapel. This monk was probably a resident of the monastery that once stood near this area, but has long since been demolished. The monk might not be the only ghost, as there is also an auditory phenomenon of the monastery bells ringing. Sometimes with the bells ringing, the monk has been spotted, walking through the trees and the woodland. Now, to the home of the intelligentsia of the UK. Braintree, Essex. For you non-UK readers and listeners out there, there is a well-known insult that Essex people, in particular an Essex girl, is not renowned for their brains. So a brain tree is unlikely in this area. Essex did everything they can to break down these prejudices by showing how intelligent their residents were by allowing an amazing show called The Only Way is Essex onto our TV screens, highlighting and showcasing the best that Essex has to offer. We do have a couple of Essex girls to talk about in this next tale, though they are Essex ghost girls. Several sightings in the last few years means we may have an active spook in the area. The first sighting I can find is from December 2013, when a witness encountered the sight of two small girls with long hair leaping over concrete posts. They thought nothing of it and walked on by. There was then a scream, and the witness turned around to see one of the girls had fallen. They ran to help to see if the child was hurt, at which point they both vanished. Another sighting claims to have seen the children skipping and then vanishing. 
If you wish to see children falling over and hurting themselves, then find the alleyway behind Freeport. If you fail to find them, then they may have been scared off by the alien big cats, the ABCs, in the area. The main sightings of the big cats happen near the golf course on Capel Hill and have been reported by many of the ramblers in that area. If you're planning on searching for ghosts whilst on a bike, then go to Folkbourne Hall, or at least the road near to that, to the south of Braintree. Cyclists on this road claim that another cyclist, pedalling furiously on the wrong side of the road, tries to run them over and then disappears before the impact. Then cycle to Stubbs Lane to find a vague, misty figure floating around. One report I've seen from 2009 comes from a woman and her children. They were walking between Stubbs Lane and Millennium Way and saw a misty humanoid figure floating three metres in the air. I have made the joke about being questioned by police if you're spotted hanging around alleyways late at night, however. If you go to Weathersford Road, you may hopefully see the police. There is a cottage. In a dip on the left-hand side of the road, it overlooks the meadows and is called Old Lodge. Please do not go knocking on their door asking if they've seen a spook. I'm only giving you those directions as that is a very specific place to find these ghosts and they're outside in the road. They are Victorian policemen. Or at least they're supposed to be ghosts of Victorian policemen. Years ago, there were reports of poltergeist activity within the building, but poltergeists never tend to stay for long and are often attached to specific people who would now have long gone from the property. Perhaps they moved house, and perhaps they went to Bracefield, Hampshire. The reason any discerning ghost hunter would want to come here, or a poltergeist would want to move here, is to find treasure. And obviously they wouldn't get to the Isle of Wight either, so uh, we are somewhere in Bracefield. It's claimed that there is a hidden buried treasure and a ghost that protects it. During the Edwardian period, a woman living here buried her treasure whilst living in the building here, and her ghost is seen on the dark lanes in the area, possibly patrolling, trying to find the treasure or trying to stop others finding it. The legend claims that dogs notice her, freeze on the spot and then start howling for no reason. Therefore, rather than taking a good metal detector, you might be better with a nervous howling dog. Bramber Castle, West Sussex. King John's era was full of tales of angst and anguish, and Bramber Castle is no exception. William de Brose, that's B-R-A-O-S-E, the fourth Lord of Bramber, supplies us with our next tale of spookiness and woe. In 1208, John seized William's lands, and William escaped to France. Unfortunately, his wife Maud, or possibly Matilda, I can't seem to find out if she went by both names or this was some form of early form of polygamy, along with their eldest son, were captured by King John. The king had them locked up in Corf Castle, or according to other legends, Windsor Castle, both of which are also haunted, but it'll be a while before we get to the W section. It was at one of these castles that he starved them to death, which is why I find it weird that they also haunt this place. To be more precise, it's thought to be two of the children that haunt this castle who also starve to death, and other reports say William and the children. One version of the ghost story claims that the children are seen wandering around the castle ruins late at night looking for their father. These spooks are reportedly more likely to be seen in or around December. They could possibly cover more ground a lot quicker if they went on horseback, or at least the ghostly white horse that is seen to haunt the moat area. Now stay on that spectral horse and gallop all the way to Bramham Park, Yorkshire. You can join a pack of galloping spectral beasts as phantom horses are heard galloping along in the dell somewhere near the old cricket pitch. 
it is thought they are the ghosts fleeing from the Bramham Moor battle in 1408. Now we have to flee the studio, maybe not on horseback, but let's head to some safer part of the UK. There's not many. There's a few outer islands that we could run off to. There's a few maybe sort of little valleys in Wales. But it's getting worse and worse here. And I can see that Frankenstein's Lobster are trying to get in and play the theme tune. So on that note, all I have time to say is stay safe, stay sane, keep spook spotting and goodbye.